You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. I'm Jake McCandless, and in this episode, I'm talking about interpreting the Bible, especially in regards to Bible prophecy. I know I'm talking to serious students of the Bible. You're probably aware of interpreting the Bible or hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the discipline of interpreting the Bible. I like to think of it as the rules of engagement for Bible study. And even if you're not aware of that, if you've not tracked and studied that yourself, Chances are you have a hermeneutical system. You have a way in which you interpret the Bible. Maybe it's just what you've seen your spiritual mentors or Bible teachers, what you've seen them do, and that's okay. If they're doing it correctly, it's okay, right? But I believe it's so important that we realize that there are systems of interpretation, whether it's formal in which someone says, okay, I'm using this view, this method, and that's how I interpret the Bible, or if it's just someone's habit and this is what they do, realizing, okay, how do I approach the Bible? How do I, you know, what's the rules of engagement I use? What's the rules of engagement that the person I'm reading or listening to does? Man, I can't tell you how important this topic is, and especially when it comes to Bible prophecy. By having a hermeneutical system, what it helps us do is make sure the Bible is coming to us as objective truth, not as something subjective where we're creating the meaning to fit ourselves. That that makes sense? When I first got into full-time ministry, late 90s, early 2000s, one of the main topics being talked about, especially at the time with student ministry, was was, was talking about truth. You know, is it, you know, truth is becoming relative, which means, you know, whatever's true to, you know, that individual That's what truth is versus an objective truth that does not change. And I think all of us would know we agree. We know how important that debate is, that there is just one objective truth. That's what Scripture teaches. It's not subjective. It's not whatever we make it out to be. And unfortunately, that discussion 25 years ago was prophetic because we're now reaping what relative truth gets you. And one of the protections against that is making sure we have a right hermeneutic. I mean, just really becoming aware of, okay, reading the Bible and then turning around saying this is what it means and this is what I should do. How did I get there? That's what hermeneutics is. Now, I had the chance to grow up in church. I always joke, you know, it's not just that my parents, you know, I had the drug problem when my my parents drugged me to church every time it was open. Uh, but even when it was closed, we were there doing stuff. We're there, you know, all the time. A great church taught the Bible, taught Scripture. But yet, I had never heard of this, inter- you know, a system of interpretation or definitely hermeneutics. But I had a wake-up call doing my undergrad in college. I did my undergrad in Bible uh, with pastoral studies. The real wake-up call came with the entrance test we had. So I had an entrance test. I think it was like 150 questions on the Bible. Now again, I, I thought I knew the Bible. I'd been preaching like at three or four years at this point. You know, I studied the Bible. I'd read it uh, you know, through several times. 
And you could get, I think it was like 125 questions. If you got that right, you could clap out of like the introduction or survey classes of the Old Testament, New Testament. I got close. I got 121. But doing that test, I'm like, where in the world is this in the Bible? Man, I was shocked at how much I didn't know. Well, I would have a even more of a wake-up call that second semester. My first semester had general ed classes. I think uh, Old Testament survey. Semester two, I had theology one, systematic theology one, and interpretation of the Bible. Both of those classes, at least for the first half of the year, left my head spinning. I had a headache every day after theology. I mean, I, again, had been around church, been around the Bible for years. And this was the study of God, looking at his character and, you know, just systematically and how, you know, how we can understand you know, parts of who God is and how he rolls uh, through his word, looking at it systematically. And I mean, it was mind blowing. I didn't even, never even thought like that. And then it came to interpreting the Bible where we're having this class talking about, okay, when you read the Bible and you're arriving at meaning and arriving at application, there are different systems and there needs to be some rules. I'm like, wait, well, you know, we can just pick up the Bible and that's it, right? Well, that's what's happening in our world, and that's why it's so such the Wild West, right? Now, the hermeneutical system we use needs to be tethered to the text. It needs to come from Scripture. We should know how to interpret Scripture because it comes from Scripture. But it rocked my world. And I have come to believe it's one of the greatest disciplines that we can learn because it guides our study. It protects us from going off the cliff into false teaching. It also helps us understanding who we're reading, who we're listening to, knowing where are they come. I mean, how are they arriving at this? No, I, I know saying something like this, I can hear already the objections, but Jake, the Holy Spirit is my only teacher. Yes. Agreed. But how many people have said the Holy Spirit's my only teacher and they're believing and teaching false things, right? Because when we get to it, scripture can be dangerous. I just cringe at those Bible studies, you know, where you sit around and it's like, what does this verse mean to you? It does not matter what it means to you. What does it mean? How do we arrive at that? How do we know what it means? Which I, I believe is the grammatical, historical approach method, biblical interpretation method, where we're saying, okay, what did the author intend? What did the original author, original audience, you know, how did they understand it? You know, looking at the you know, the language, looking at the context, looking at the historical context. And then we bridge that to today. So that author intent gives us meaning and gives us the pathway in which that we understand how we should know that today. That's, but that's not where I really want to go with this. But I want you to see how important this is. Right, just, just for example, again, like I said, interpreting the Bible can seem like the Wild West, especially with Bible prophecy. And so if we line up prophecy teachers and we line up prophecy books, they're probably all coming at it from different angles. They've interpreted it different ways. And we need to be aware of that. For one, some of the authors, when it gets down to it, they don't even view the Bible as God's word. Many of the commentaries you pull off the shelf are written by scholars who do not look at Scripture as all of God's word. It's even coming from the Lord. Yeah. So first of all, as you're reading and listening to someone, do, do they even view this as God's word? 
And then one of the biggest divides within interpreting the Bible comes out of the 4th century in what's called the Alexandrian school, which begin to look at Scripture as just being allegory, just like symbolic, just spiritualized. For for example, would look at the, the Exodus as just this spiritual example of salvation. Now, I agree, it, it's there, it's in there, but it's a very real thing that happened. And so people who would take the spiritualized approach, they, they don't, they're not looking at Israel mattering anymore. They're not looking at the promises of God through Israel. Rather, just looking at the spiritualized explanation of salvation. And I know I'm saying this and you're thinking, wait a minute, my pastor preached this. It doesn't mean he's coming from this approach, but it does mean that approach has trickled down. It's something we're always battling. And, and that's just one division. That's just you know one split in the road when it comes to hermeneutics. I mean, when it comes to interpreting Bible prophecy, you've got such crazy stuff out there that there are some who believe there has to be some kind of code there has to be some kind of key, you know, the Revelation code, the Babylonian code, you know, whatever that their name is using. And so they look at the Bible as this coded message rather than just God's plain word we can read. And so you, you lay across and say, okay, as I'm listening to someone, as I'm reading something, where are they coming from? But even in those who, in my words, would respect the Bible, would view it as God's, God's inerrant word, uh, they would look at scripture as, you know, from that gr- grammatical historical method, even that when it comes to Bible prophecy can often be skewed through the hermeneutics. For, for example, two of the, what I think are some of the best books on interpreting the Bible, especially introductory books, come from Gordon Fee, Douglas Stewart, Read the Bible for All It's Worth is one of them. And then Grasping God's Word by Deval and Hayes. Leading scholars. Like scholars I would point to as these are men who seem to respect the Bible, who believe it's God's Word, who seem to take an accurate approach to interpreting it. So in Fee and Stewart's book, one of the main emphasis they have is, is if you're going to interpret the Bible, you need to know the genre of the book and therefore interpret it according to the genre, which which makes sense, right? When you get to the Old Testament, you're going to treat the his, a historical book different than Proverbs and Psalms, right? That, that makes sense. And so when it comes to the New Testament, like in their book, one of the, the emphasis they have is what genre is it? You know, look at the Gospels. I consider that a, a genre or, you know, it's also, you know, a historical uh, book, book of Acts, historical than the epistles, but what they do when they come to Revelation is they say it's apocalyptic literature. And one of their claims is that since it's apocalyptic literature, therefore it should just be viewed as symbolism for spiritual meaning. Vaughn Hayes talk about the book of Revelation being written in time and in t- intense persecution. And therefore they're writing their author's writing in code just to give encouragement. And so in doing so, they, they break one of their main rules is the genre should be, you know, whatever the, the book itself claims to be, that's where you start. Book of Revelation, yes, it, it talks about an apocalypse in it, but it doesn't cr- claim to be the special section of apocalyptic literature. It claims to be an epistle. And so you can see how just skewing your interpretation of that and saying, okay, well, it's apocalyptic literature, therefore it's just symbolism, 
how that impacts your interpretation. I didn't even mean for this episode to focus on the genre part of it. Obviously, that's a soapbox of mine. But I want you to see just how important it is. One, you have an, an interpretative method. Now, again, you don't have to pull out a textbook and, and have a list. But to understand, when you go to the Bible and you try to understand what it means and you try to bring out application that there's a system that you're using and it's a biblical system. And again, everybody would say their system biblical, but is it a system that you see used in the Bible? I mean, we have examples. Jesus interpreting the Old Testament. The disciples interpreting the Old Testament. We need to be matching that. But I hope you see just how important understanding someone's hermeneutic, someone's interpretation, you know, where they're coming from, how important it is. So yeah, genre is a, a point to look at, but if I had to give you the number one hermeneutical principle, the number one hermeneutical principle that I believe that we need to have in studying ex- all of scripture, but especially Bible prophecy, is to put yourself in neutral and read the text. Let's say that again. The number one principle we need to have, put yourself in neutral and read the text. And I can hear you saying, man, Jake's sure not a scholar. That's fine. My wife says the same thing. (laughs) But I believe one of the biggest issues we have in just across modern Christianity, especially, you know, America, the West, in understanding Bible prophecy is that we read into Bible prophecy a position that we arrive at before we read it. <laughs> that makes sense? Hermeneutical book that doesn't get talked about uh, very much, but Robertson McQuillan's Understanding and Applying the Bible. One of the biggest focus he has throughout that book is, is your presupposition. Like, what is your mindset What are you bringing into the Bible before you read it? And we all do this. You know, there's no way you can't do this to some degree. But we we do this, we'll take our church doctrine and read it into the text. When it comes to Bible prophecy, we'll take our position, the positions we've been told, the, the books we've read, the things people have told us, and we will read that into the text. And I can say that because that's what I did. I had been a Christian since the early 90s. Again, grew up in church. Grew up in, I had did my undergrad in Bible, gone to seminary, all focused on studying the Bible. Been pastoring, was operating a, directing a lay seminary and teaching. And I thought I understood Bible prophecy. But I had a wake-up call. I was teaching a Old Testament survey class in that lay seminary, and class would be on Monday nights, and so I'd cram all day Monday preparing. And I was teaching through just an introduction to Dan, Book of Daniel, and I spent a lot of time looking at that statue in Daniel two. Uh, of course, it's, you know, students about prophecy. That's you know a, a big thing, right? And I always had understood it. You know, I, I completely believe we, we have a timeline there. We have the secession of empires from Daniel's life till the return of Christ, establishment of, of the messianic kingdom. And I've always, you know, been told, okay, the head of gold, Babylon, the 
chest and arms were the Medes and Persians. The waist, thighs, a bronze was Greece. And then those legs of iron was Rome. And it must be Rome because it's divided into two. Then it's the understanding that the feet, which is clay and iron, is this revival of this final empire. And so I'm walking to class prepared to talk about the secession of empires and especially how Rome is those legs of iron and then how a revival of Rome would happen in the end. I'm way to class. It hits me. How can we only talk about the Western half, the European half, the Eastern half, the Byzantine half lasted a thousand years more. But yet when we talk about a revival, we talk about the revival happening in Rome, happening in Europe. Man, it just hit me. And I was just reeling when I got into class. I'm like, wait a minute. How can we just leave all that out? Never had thought of my own. Had never, I mean, again, I've been doing ministry for years. And never, I just thought of my own. Read it and thought of my own. I just read in what I thought everybody else said. Crazy. So I think I spent that whole two hours just like rambling about that. While I'm in class, I get this message that, uh, a church member had gone to the ER. So as soon as class is out, I, I take it's like 45-minute drive. I go there. I'm with the family for a while. I'm driving back. It's late at night, like 1, 2 in the morning, and I'm listening to Michael Savage. Don't judge me. And totally random. Random I'm listening to it. Random I'm up that night. Well, not late that night, but random I'm driving that late. His guest is Wally Chobat. And he's teaching on Revelation 17, and explain, which I believe is a parallel to some degree from Daniel 2. And he's talking about how that the final empire from Revelation 17 seems to be the revival of the Ottoman Empire, the Islamic Caliphate. It made a lot of sense. Crazy, all that would happen that night. The next morning, I'm leaving out on a trip. I just had a few minutes before I lost signal where we were going when I realized I needed a book to read. And... I download last minute this just the first book it comes up on the subject. Joel Richardson's Islamic Antichrist. You know the rest of the story, right? But what really hit me is I had just never read the text myself. And so that's 2012, and I begin this process of just rereading Bible prophecy. And just one stance I had after another began to fall because I had these stances, I had these positions, and then I would read them into the text. I really believe that's the biggest problem in understanding Bible prophecy today. So much so that uh, my first book, Spiritual Prepper, uh, was through WMD Books at the time. The, it's great stuff coming out. Of course, Joel Richardson's books, uh, Mark Biltz uh, and others. And I uh, sent them a proposal for a book called Read the Freaking Text. <laughs> I mean, you saw my anger, right? Because I hear these great Bible teachers they, who, who do the work in every other subject of the Bible, but when it came to the book of Revelation, when it came to Bible prophecy, they just lost their mind and just repackaged what they had been told or the position they had and didn't work with the text. Listen, we've got to read the text. But like me, who came at it with already had a view, we've got to put ourselves in neutral. We've got to put those presuppositions aside, those positions aside and let the text push us around and someone say yeah but you know we may get the wrong assumption when we read it yeah we might that's why we keep reading we read in context listen 
one of the main hermeneutical principles is to let Scripture interpret Scripture, and it will. But let it push you around. Put yourself in neutral and read the freaking text. So I have just felt all along we could understand Bible prophecy. There wouldn't be the divisions. There wouldn't be the debate if we would just read the text. Well, I saw that in action this past week. So locally, I'm a a church planner. And planning a church that is a response to COVID, okay, how how could we have, you know, not just survived, but strived during COVID? What model would that be? What model do we need for the last days and preparing for the last days? And so doing the disciple-making movement model, we're doing uh, neighborhood and network Bible studies, and we use a discovery Bible study where I don't preach, I don't teach, our leaders don't preach or teach. We just open the Bible, we read it. It's not like, what does this mean to you? Uh, but it's, okay, what's the author's intent here? What's it saying? And so we've been working 20-plus weeks through the five discourses in Matthew. And we arrived at the fifth one this past week. Even though being a Bible prophecy person, I was dreading it. The fifth one being the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25. I was really dreading this because I know how Bible prophecy stuff goes. <laughs> so we read it. We start out, we read, I think, the first three chapters, or three verses of Matthew 24. And uh, so we read it, then we retell it in our own words, and then it's what would... In the retelling, are they right? What would you add or take away from that? First retelling. We read it. The one retelling says, So the disciples asked this question of Jesus. It seems obvious that they already had some type of understanding of the end times and return of Jesus. Or, you know, coming of the Messiah. Bingo. (laughs) That's one of the things I've been trying to stress in my my content, you know? There was a precedence. Jesus just didn't introduce the subject. Beautiful discussion. Then we go and work through verses, I think, four through eight, uh, you know, the beginning of the birth pains. First one, so we read it. Someone jumps out there to retell it. They read it and they say, okay, these, Jesus says these things are going to come, but it's not the end. And I, I'm just like, okay, that, I mean, that's right. It's not the end. Jesus is saying, you know, persevere through this, but even though these things happen, it's not the end. And that one little statement of just reading the freaking text in neutral solved the issue, the preterism issue, right? Yeah, those things happened in the first century, but it wasn't the end. These things are going to keep happening. Then the next person said, well, something I would add is it called these birth pains. And birth pains prepare the woman for birth. <laughs> These things are going to happen. They're not the end. They're just the beginning of the end. They're like the beginning birth pains, the Braxton Hicks, you know, birth pains that, and the purpose of those are is to strengthen the woman for birth, for the ultimate birth pains. Holy cow. And the woman speaks up and says, you know, I know we're not supposed to get ahead. But it really looks like Jesus says it's not the end until you see this abomination of desolation. (laughs) Do you know how much content and teaching I've been doing since 2016 to try to get some of these things ahead? And just simply reading the freaking text and putting yourself in neutral, it happened. So it's not just a theory I have, which sounds so stupid to say that's a theory, right? 
You know, I have this great hermeneutical theory. If we'd put ourselves in neutral and just read it, then we might arrive at the truth without all the conflicting discussion and debate that we have. You know, that's the working hypothesis. I know it's true because it happened to me, but I saw it right before my eyes. A passage that I've seen people debate in nauseam. 15 minutes, we were done. I'd been focused on Matthew 24 for like, again, I don't, like seven years now. And I learned stuff. So I hope out of this episode, beyond my rants, you see, hey, you know, knowing someone's hermeneutical method, how they interpret, man, that's going to shape what they arrive at. I hope you get that. But I also hope that you decide to put yourself in neutral and read the text. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. 